The only thing I I don't like is all the shroud runners, the guy on the or the person on the back, they don't have a hood up. And so it's like, ooh, here's this stealthy, like, dark green, purplish thing, and this shiny white helmet. Oh, he's got a helmet on, okay. Yeah, they all have helmets, but it's a nice, bright white helmet. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I thought about changing, but I'm like, well, no, let's keep it consistent with the army, as opposed to trying to make it a camo helmet, because technically they are, air quote, guardian-type armor underneath, sort of, maybe... Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is one with the hive mind. I'm your host, Rob. Dennis. And Richard. Uh, no Kevin, unfortunately, due to technical difficulties. He's uh, currently traveling. He's actually in Kansas City, but he's on a laptop that did not decide to work well with our recording software. So we'll have to carry on without him. And if the teaser of being one with a hive mind makes you think that we're going to be talking about gene stealer cults, I'm sorry to disappoint you yet again. We're, we're, we still haven't found them. They're they're around here somewhere. I swear. I, I've looked under all the furniture. So they're, it's got to be around here out. somewhere. They're, they're, they're lurking somewhere. The but you know, they are lurking, ready, waiting to ambush. But the time is apparently not yet right for the day of ascension. But instead, we're going to be talking about the brand new Codex Tyranids. That uh, came that went up for pre-order this past weekend. Uh, we have a preview copy provided by Games Workshop, and so we will be talking about this brand new codex and what it brings to the Great Devourer from Beyond the Galaxy. Uh, but first, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And we do actually have listener mail today. News and new releases, since we just recorded last week, it's going to be a relatively short list because the main new releases are NIDs are up for pre-order. Yep. But we did talk last episode about uh, the issues, shall we say, with game balance at Adepticon. And like a day or so before we dropped the episode, we had already recorded it the weekend before, but during last week... Games Workshop released a uh, a Meta Watch article where they you know they talk about what's going on at big competitive events, and they they're like yeah Harlequin stole the show yep Harlequin lists were extremely dominant three out of the top four at Adepticon and uh, yeah so they they acknowledge that there is a huge problem especially with like Light Say Death Void Weaver spam which continues to just roll competitive events. So again, not just Adepticon, the field in general. Now, they did recommend some fixes like, hey, have more shots in your army and you'll eventually <laughs> get through that. You only hit on on uh, four ups. But I would also argue that those fixes are only good if they also address the other armies on the field, which in many cases they do not. So they are. They did announce that uh, they are going to release a balanced data slate next week. So this week, the week that you are probably listening to this, they will release fixes for Harlequins. We will see if those fixes are su sufficient to bring them down to a reasonable level. I don't mind if Harlequins are good, but they shouldn't be 80% win rate good. 
And that's right. about where they're at. So they said, you can expect imminent tweaks and changes to the Harlequins in particular. They'll remain an awesome faction, but other factions will find them more fun to play against. And Eldari players will <laughs> see them support a wider variety of army lists and competitive settings. That's not all you'll find in the balanced data slate. So I'm guessing they're also going to try to acknowledge Tau and Custodes in this as well. Hopefully, they'll come up with some fixes that will even the field a bit. Just in time for this new book to drop. And, uh, yeah, this, uh, spoilers, nids are looking good. Nids are looking real good. But, uh, that, that's basically the, the biggest bit of news is Harlequins are getting a fix coming down the pipes ASAP. And I'm glad they're, they are not waiting to address this issue. We are not going to get like two to three months of no fun Harlequins. Because I mean, it sounds like even the Harlequin players are not having fun playing Harlequins when there's when when you just roll your your opposition that easily. But uh, that that's our news, and so we're going to go and transition already over to listener mail. Uh, as always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and I want to thank the listeners for answering our call on needing more mail. So uh, thank you for those of you who wrote in, and if you want to know how to get your letter read on the air, I'll tell you how at the end of the segment. So first up is a letter from Chad Allen Nichols. Uh, Chad provides some commentary on our Harlequins coverage. Uh, Chad writes, Hi, gang. First off, I want to say good work. Love the show. Thank you, Chad. Secondly, I, too, will be spending painful amounts of money on a Leagues of Votan army. I have visions of a sci-fi version of the Battle of Five Armies open game. You are not alone, Dennis. You are not alone. <laughs> no, mine was for a different reason, but yes, I'm not alone. I'm hearing lots of people that are really interested in Leagues of Votan. Yeah, even our friend Tim, who I mentioned last episode had been kind of priced out of the game, he's like, I kind of want him. He hasn't played in like years, and he's like, I, I kind of want this. I, I, li- I like the the sturdiness of the army. Well, he and I had a small conversation about that as well, where he said, I'm thankful you're getting into them because then at least someone I know has them. I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking the bullet for this one. Yes and no, but I think they're going to be cool, too. So I can't say I'm taking a bullet, so. All right. Third, I wanted to point out that in the Harlequins analysis, you guys missed the troops, for whatever reason, do not have the core keyword. Odds are it's a typo, but until it's addressed officially, it's something that needs awareness. Rules is written, only Skyweavers are the, the core unit in the list. Again, keep up the work and ga- the, again, keep up the good work and game on. And yes, I, somebody had pointed that out online that, uh, not, not to us specifically, but yeah, Harlequins troops, like they're, they're troop which happens to be troops, um, does not have the core keyword. And so, like, the troop master, I believe that's the unit, uh, who has a, a a bubble that affects core Harlequin units, it only affects their bikes. Uh, right now, give, I mean, okay, yes, that is probably a typo that should be fixed because that's that would make them work consistently with every other army in the game. On the other hand, right now, Harlequins are really good, so eh, I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, they well, should fix it, but they don't have to. As we noted, I think we were getting tired, even though we that's why we separated it. And right. yeah, that was it's one still, of our worst reviews. <laughs> where we uh, I'm not going to. I'm yeah, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to disagree that that book was just so much to, to try to chew through. Um. So, no, but thank you for pointing that out, Chad. Yes, Harlequin troops are not as of as of present core. I imagine the data slate will probably address that as well. Um, 
as long as they don't decide, yeah, Void Weaver should be cored too, then they've gone wrong, horribly wrong. Don't do that. <laughs> don't. Don't. Uh, next letter is from Pontus Perstrand, and Pontus writes, Hey, preferred enemies, thanks for a great podcast. Thank you, Pontus. I love your content. I sent a mail to all of you, but it must have ended up in the junk mail or something, so here I go again on my own. I'm not going to sing that. Sorry. The song's Even in my head, did, so it he, already worked. He atta- yeah, he, he attached <laughs> musical notes to it, but I'm not going to subject ever, all the listeners to my singing, so no. But uh, I, I checked Junk Mail. I didn't see it there, so I'm not sure what happened to it, but I'm glad he, he went ahead and contacted us via Facebook. He says, I have a couple of kids at home. The oldest two boys are ages 13 and 11 and have shown some interest in the hobby. We have bought a couple of kits and have started painting. Tau for the oldest, Necrons for the younger. Uh, the hobby side is doing pretty okay, although it's very hard to find time to do it with them, and they're not comfortable enough, or interested enough, I don't know, to do it when I'm not there to guide them. My question is twofold. One, how do I find the time to hobby with the kids? And two, what is a good way to start teaching them the game? The learning curve seems steep. Unfortunately, number one, there is no easy solution other than making the time. And my oldest daughter... When she was about four or five, actually, probably on six, four, between four and six, was interested in, in learning to paint models. And she painted some uh, lizard men, which I still have. I still have the lizard men she's painted because I, I, I love that she did that. And she was very interested in doing that with me. And unfortunately, over time, like, I didn't make the attempt to make, to explicitly make more time with her to encourage her to do more. And with kids, I think there's very much that even a kid who is normally a self-starter, when they're approaching something new or they see something as an activity to do with mom or dad, they sometimes won't make that jump of, I want to do this by myself. Even at, even at like 13. Sometimes they just still see like, now this is something dad and I do together in your case, or you know, something I like mom and I do together. And so... If I had set aside more time to do it with her, I think it would have encouraged her to do it more. And unfortunately, I think the window on that has closed. So that's on me. Um, and in this case, you know, if you want to make time to do the hobby with them, you have to find ways to make the time. If it's something you value and if it's something you want to do with them, you have to, you have to make that effort to do it. And it can be hard. We all have very busy schedules, but it is, so important that you make that time to do this activity with them, especially if it's something you want to see them progress in. It's something you think they'll enjoy. Like they've shown some interest. You're there to kind of shepherd them through it and and help them, you know, kind of actualize it on their own. And once they start really doing that, then it'll be a start becoming a thing that they they do on their own as well. Now, the question two, what's a good way to start teaching them the game? Um, the two ways I would point out would be the uh, start learning sets. Uh, yeah, like Command Edition, Elite Edition, Recruit Edition. I mean, Recruit Edition is 50 bucks, and it adds gives you Space Marines and more Necrons. So your, your younger son who uh, already likes Necrons will have more Necrons to work with. But usually what those do, because they're starting with uh, small unit sizes, is they'll do a series of missions that roll out the rules piece by piece and older uh, starter sets did this too i think i want to say like battle of mccrag was one of the best ones back in like third or fourth edition 
I say May 4th edition, where like it rolled out little missions to do like first off, use this model, just like get movement down, then do a, a mission where you do like move and shoot and things like that. And so the the starter sets, like starting with like the recruit edition or the elite edition, which is like $50 or $100, those are good ways to get things going. Another possibility is the Imperium magazine. We've, we discussed this in a previous episode. If you look at the entire cost over the period of like two to three years that's released, yeah, it's going to be, you know, like. I think something like $1,500 or so. But you pick them up on a monthly basis. There's four issues a month. And from what I've seen of people who are actually going through and reviewing these, and you can actually look at these, like Goonhammer, somebody's been doing like reviews of like Imperium Week 1, Imperium Week 2. Because you get your models from Imperium piecemeal and you're building armies as you go, it does that same kind of thing where like every every issue will have a, a mission, but it's just going to use like the models that you got in that issue or the models that you've collected so far. So small missions with very small units to start introducing the concept so that by the time you're getting to the point where you've actually built up like maybe a 500 to a thousand point army, you have a good grasp of the mechanics. And because they're in these small, easy to understand chunks, it's really good for introducing a new player, probably like a younger player as well. But again, it's something that you're going to want to take the time to go through with them. I, I don't think it's something you'll necessarily just sit down there, you know, sit down with them and and just like watch them do it. It's some, or even like hand them a copy. It's like, here, go play this for a while. It's an activity you'll want to do with them. That That's the key to doing anything with kids is just to do it with them. And then our final letter is from Caleb Olds. Caleb writes, question for the hopper. Do you think the return of beakies at true scale or almost true scale and their load of options might indicate a return to having more diverse space marine on chaos space marine building options in future kits? I'd having, I'd imagine having more premier scaled ish plastic molds to use would make designing new kits with diverse options far easier. Um. I don't know. And part of that is going to be because of how they're doing their models recently. Um, what we're seeing is a lot more models that are highly CAD designed to where like they only fit in certain poses and you might get some special, like special parts or special models where like it can be made one of like three ways. Like I know the, like the orc commandos are like that, aren't they Richard? They're a, a lot of them are made so that you can make them in like two different modes. And, but like it, it's all very like specific pieces for specific models. It's not like, you know, you swap out guns, arms, and you can put, any of the gun arms on any of the models. It's it's all very specific to you build this model this way or you build this model a different way. So right. you have like two options. Well, I will toss this out looking at like the Guardians from Eldar. There's about 30 heads in that Guardian box for those 10 models. Because that way you can make Guardians, Storm Guardians, or Yanari Guardians. And if the option is just adding more beak heads or other different types of heads in the space marine boxes, I think it's possible. Okay, yeah, I had I hadn't cracked open the new guardian box yet to see how. Oh how my gosh, there's so that many parts. Well, the models themselves 
are not as mo- well i guess they are in the fact that you can put whatever pair of arms on whatever body you want so you can kind of design them that way and then like i said there's 30 heads although like i said there guardian defenders there's 10 heads for those there's 10 heads for the storm guardians and 10 heads for the inari but if they did something similar space marines you could have all the different types of helmets like put all the standard helmets and then some of each of the different helmets to try and bring that flavor back Hmm. yeah okay so all right so basically it sounds more like they've got a couple of different design philosophies i guess for how specialized the unit is because like like I've been putting together Primaris stuff for this Dark Angels list. I was putting together Hellblasters, and the Hellblasters are all like pretty modular. Like there's legs, body, which is made of two parts, and then there will be like a set of arms that sometimes that goes with a particular gun, or will have a gun as part of the arm. Sometimes arms that you have to put a gun into, uh, and so they're like those are like if the arms are are able to be swapped out, then you could change those around with technically like the Primaris intercessor models. And I think Kevin mentioned that the, uh, like the new chaos chosen are kind of the same way where every body can be put with like every pair of arms. But then I've also seen like the novitiate sprues for like the, the new sisters kind of like light troop model where it's like each body because of how dynamically they're posed it can be made one of like, it's more like the, the orc commandos or the death Corps Krieg where it's like, they can be made one of like two or three ways, but like this, like this one will always be like with a gun, a chain or a gun, a melee weapon or a banner. This one will always be with a gun, a pistol and melee weapon or an eviscerator. This one, like, you know, it's like, they're always going to be like one of three builds. So, and I imagine the Rangers, you said they're like, Aren't there like two poses for each sprue? Yeah, the, the rangers had distinct ways you had to build them, but each of the five rangers had two distinct builds you could build them as. So okay, in my so. ten rangers, I have ten that are all unique poses, which I found okay. So cool. okay, that no, that is cool, but it it shows that there's like I guess it depends on like where where the the unit fits in and how often it's going to show up in an army. Because, like, troops, it sounds like, tend to be, like, light, like your your basic troops are going to be more flexible than your, like, more specialized units. Um. So, I, you know, maybe it depends on how they put together this, like, the box of tactical beakies for Horus Heresy. It may very much be along that line of, here's a, like, you can swap out the arms and legs with other kits that are compatible um, having more stuff scaled in the same way, I think will generally give them more designs. But I will say that they you you'll see like one set of designs for like Marines and one set of designs for Chaos Marines because yeah, the Chaos Marines are not just going to be Marines with just because of how they do the design. It's not just <laughs> going to be Marines with spikes on them in in the same poses. It'll be it'll be different, and I think being in some ways a little bit more organic the chaos marines may not have the same flexibility i'll have to see because like i've put together i want to say i've put together the new chaos space marine box for the raffle army we did in 2019 which i mean new in air quotes but it was like the the newest set of sculpts they did for base chaos marines and in that case i put them together as they were pictured on the box but 
but I seem to remember those were decently flexible, but still a little bit more in that we've, we've got dynamic posing. So certain combinations of, of bodies don't mix with certain combinations of arms and weapons. So yeah, I don't know if, if this one kit will make a big difference or if this kit will just be done in a different style. And it may be like the horse heresy stuff is done more modular because it like, Technically, that beaky kit has to support eighteen different legions. <laughs> That's fair, which which makes a big difference. Uh, and if you want to write a letter to us and ask us a question, ask us for feed, or you know, ask us for what, like, how we should go about something, or want to provide feedback on what we've recorded, or just want to talk to us, or just want to have your message read on the air, there are three good ways you can do that. First is you can email us, assuming it doesn't go into the junk mail, and I do check the junk mail to see if it ends up there. Uh, you can email us at Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Or you can also email us at our first names at preferredenemies.com. So it's you basically use our first names or our first names at preferredenemies.com. A second is Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us, find out what we've been working on, get our feedback on uh, news and new announcements, and uh, contact us there via message. Third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. Uh, and we take comments and questions from all three of those sources, throw them in the hopper, and get through as many as we can. In an episode, the hopper is now currently empty once again, so if you want to get your letter right on the air, now is the perfect time to do it. Uh, in addition, if you want to help support the show, uh, we, you can go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, now, if you can do this, we recommend first that you use your that you use your wargaming powers for awesome and help out in your community with local charities and such. But after doing that, if you still want to help support the show, then uh, you can go there. It's again, online tip jar. We uh, basically put all the money that we put that we collect in that towards the costs of the show. So our host web hosting costs, our recording system costs, uh, hardware replacement costs, which we have determined we are going to have to replace Dennis's Yeti. He's currently on his wireless headset for the time being, but we're going to get him a new microphone. Hopefully we won't have to buy Kevin a new laptop. I don't think that's <laughs> going to be a thing, but... <laughs> But his home setup is fine and works, so I think we're good. He just happens to be traveling this weekend. And also helps us defray the costs of traveling to events as we are beginning to travel again. So if you want to do that, if you want to help support the show, we really appreciate it. And even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar, uh, it really helps out. And again, none of our content is locked behind a paywall. It's, so again, that's patreon.com slash preferred enemies. A third bit of our regular news is Midwest Conquest is coming up in Memorial Day weekend in Independence, Missouri. We are at the Stony Creek Hotel and Convention Center. Well, I should say we. We aren't running the event other than Kevin is running the friendly event there. But uh, there is a GT. There is a uh, friendly event. There is a night joust. There is beer hammer for if you're 21 or over. And there's a bolt action event if you're more interested in World War II action. If you are interested in any of those events and want to come to Kansas City to throw down, we will be present. I know, Dennis, you are going to be there. Kevin's obviously going to be there. Uh, I will likely be there either playing or helping out in some capacity. Uh, Richard, I, if you are available. I, I will be there. Yeah. You will be there. All four of us will be there. Yeah, and I will All actually be playing in the friendly. So Yes, with the uh, knights, might, I believe. Yep, my, my knights army with my uh, crazy story behind that. And I have a psyker and an inquisitor, an inquisitor psyker and some custodes protecting her. And yeah, it's it's not a competitive list at all. <laughs> well, 
Well, no, that's why it's in the friendly. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to go, if you're if you're wanting to go hardcore competitive, once they fix Harlequins, the the 40k Grand Tournament is definitely your direction you want to go in. If you have an army that maybe not the the tightest competitive army, but has a neat story, neat army look. Uh, you want to do something just interesting, weird on the table. The friendly event is totally up your alley. And again, Beer Hammer is always a fun event. Night Joust is fantastic. Uh, uh, I will probably be, not if not running in the Night Joust, definitely playing in the Night Joust and providing spare nights for people at the Night Joust. So if you want to come down, uh, details are all at MidwestConquest.com or you can find the event on Best Coast Pairings. Just search for, Midco- uh, just search for Midwest Conquest there. Uh, you can register for those events and uh, hopefully we'll see as many of you as we can on Memorial Day weekend in Independence, Missouri. We're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification, and when we come back, it'll be time to look at the brand new Tyranid Codex. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k... X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. That means it's time for our main topic, which is our look into the new Codex Tyranids. Again, this copy was provided to us by Games Workshop in exchange for an honest and fair review. And, uh, well, first off, I suppose we should answer the question of what are the Tyranids? We like to start off all our Codex reviews with a uh, look at the fluff behind the army. And uh, the Nids are... The Great Devourer, the the fully biological, very, very hungry race that has come from outside the galaxy. Uh, it's unknown if they, how many other galaxies they've eaten. 
And when I say eaten, I, I don't mean metaphorically. This, this is a species that invades a, a planet, consumes all the biomass on the planet, and then leaves it a sterile shell and then moves on and uses that biomass that it actually sucks up with like giant straws that come down from spaceships into big melting like pools of bio goo that like to the point where if I remember right, the creatures like at the end of the planet's consumption, the creature like the tyrannid creatures actually just like throw themselves into digestion po- pools and die. Yes. Yep. To, to be reused and, and reborn and, and, seeded onto another planet yeah reduce reuse recycle uh tyranids if they weren't consuming everything on the planet they'd be very biological they'd be a very ecologically uh forward thinking but uh no they they devour everything including themselves at the end and uh they when i say they come from beyond the galaxy yes they're invading the the milky way galaxy from multiple angles as giant tendrils like in space and when i say tendrils i don't necessarily mean like one big tentacle but like a swarm of not ships exactly because they're alive but like void creatures that are themselves full of birthing vats and other creatures that they can seed onto the planet and some of them are, and there are different tendrils coming in at different points of the galaxy, including, if I remember, Leviathan is coming in from underneath the galaxy and up through it, through the galactic plane. So they're coming in from everywhere. And maybe I shouldn't use them so much as an adjective or, or them so much as a pronoun as it. And that is because the Tyranids are also of one mind. All of the Tyranids from all the different hive tendrils are of one mind, the hive mind. There is no real sense of individuality in this species. There is just one overwhelming mind that wants to consume everything within its reach. And all the the little creatures that uh, have that are part of this are all connected via this hive mind um, from the smallest little, little gribbly creature, like the smallest little ripper or sporma all the way to the giant void ships that are carrying them, the bio ships. Uh, and it is through sp- like nodes in, you know, like creatures inside this swarm, large, larger creatures that can actually connect to the hive mind and then broadcast out its intentions to the smaller creatures. And these, cre- these, these broadcast nodes are referred to as synapse creatures. And they're like the nervous system of this entire, you know, single minded organism. And, the uh they the empire first discovered them i believe the planet of like the tyrant system was one of the first times that the the tyranids attacked which is why they were given the name tyranids and in fact gene stealers were one, like discovered even before the the rest of the the hive fleet was discovered so gene stealers are kind of a forward vanguard that preps the uh 
like preps a planet, like investigates, scouts out, kills and absorbs some of the knowledge of the defenders of the planet and broadcasts that back to the hive mind. So the hive mind knows how, like what planets to attack and how to approach them. Because one of the other th- key things about the Tyranids is that they are a very adaptive species. Um, you know, evolution, all creatures evolve over time as, you know, certain adaptations prove more advantageous to certain environments. But this process normally takes thousands, if not millions of years. Tyranids can do it within days. The, the Tyranid species is hyper adaptive, um, to the point where, like, Let's say you've got a wave of Tyranids that are coming down. They start, they kind of start with attacking a planet with just a kind of a generalist mix of a little bit of everything. And the defenders prove to be very, uh, you know, like very good at, at dealing with like the small to mid range creatures on the ground. And maybe they're using some heavy weaponry to like that can hit like multiple targets to, like wipe out scores of smaller bugs. Um, the, the hive mind will then say, well, that seems to be, this isn't working. So now let's try adapting this. And now they'll come in with larger creatures or maybe flying creatures to try to take out those heavy weapons. But now the defenders have figured out how to stop those. Like maybe this, like we're going to use, Okay, they're, you're sending bigger creatures against us. Well, we'll use las cannons to punch through their armor and uh, stop them. Well, now the next wave will have these large creatures, but now they'll also have invulnerable saves from like psychic shells, and uh, th- we'll also throw in burrowing units that can get in underneath the uh, the defenders and pop up and take out those heavy weapon emplacements. Or we'll throw more swarms than they can handle to overwhelm those positions. Like it, not only is it changing its tactics, it's also adapting the individual creatures within them to make them more useful. And also as the invasion proceeds and more, more biomass is consumed, the kinds of creatures that will be sent are different. So like at first it'll be those like more invading fighting creatures. And then later on, it'll be the creatures that are just there to eat everything. So it's like, once it's got you, it's like being in the, like first you're facing the teeth and then you're fighting the digestive system. Because again, it's just like, it's one big creature split over millions of smaller ones. And on top of that, because they're, they are so alien and because they are broadcasting their, their thoughts, its thoughts to all the component creatures, it also creates what's referred to as the shadow and the warp, which is a form of, form of psychic static that, um, it interferes with any other kind of psychic creature. So, like psychers have trouble manifesting abilities. Astropaths can't get messages out. Sometimes the static will be such that astropaths and psychers will actually like their heads will start exploding because the, the pressure of the shadow is so painful. And so, so the Tyranids can actually stop <laughs> like communications. They can stop travel by disrupting the warp. Uh, it's, it is like the antithesis 
to everything that like the Imperium has built up for sure. And, you know, they're not technological by any means. They're all, some of their weaponry appears to be guns, but it's actually creatures holding smaller creatures that shoot even smaller creatures. I mean, it's, it's bugs all the way down. <laughs> yep. There, there's definitely some strong, uh, Starship Trooper influences here and, <laughs> uh, the Alien series. I mean, this is, like the, the the sci-fi influences upon this army and its design are very very clear. I mean, I mean Space Hulk, the the classic board game where you're facing off against gene stealers. I mean, that's like that's more the movie Alien than the movie Alien. <laughs> and it's yeah. and it's very much kind of encapsulates what, you know, part of what this whole species is about. And uh there have been numerous Hive fleets identified that have their own coloration and their own specializations, but let's not think of these as like competing factions necessarily. These are different extensions, different limbs, as it were, of of the hive mind trying different, a uh, uh, different approaches as they've come across certain like as like this tendril has faced things it's kind of developed to be like focusing on big creatures that do nasty things maybe this one is focused more on hyper toxic attacks that can damage anything and this one is really good at burrowing underground and being stealthy it's like each one of these tendrils of the hive is specialized but they're all serving the same goal, which is to consume everything in their path. Uh, they can be turned away. Uh, they can be pushed back, but no one's figured out how to stop the inevitable press of the Tyranids. Um, this, it, it, along with like all the other things going in on the 40 K galaxy, this is probably the, the biggest existential threat to everything in the 40k universe to the point where if i remember right from my necron fluff it's the reason the silent king came back (laughs) is because he left the galaxy and then saw the tyranids is like "Ah, i better get back and wake everybody up because uh this could be bad but at the same time nids tend to avoid necron worlds because many of the necron worlds are already dead and sterile anyway and the nids don't (laughs) care they don't they don't want them there's nothing there for them yeah they Fluff-wise, two of the biggest, like, obstacles uh, that that Tyranids can face are, are Necrons, because there's not biomass there for them to consume, uh, and then Demons, for basically the same reason, because they don't exist. <laughs> right. Although I will say it doesn't appear that the Great Rift has had any real effect on stopping the, the Tyranid onslaught. True. True. Yeah, they don't care about the warp, and I don't even they don't even move through the warp really. Uh there's no instance of a possessed Tyranid. Tyranids don't because like one of the things about possession is like it's all about emotions and, and Nids don't have any. Right. Nids are just they're just impulse. They are just, I mean, there's a malicious thought behind it in the hive mind, but individual nids, like, there's nothing to possess. They have no individual minds. They're just animals. Right. So, like, there's stories of, you know, tyranids and demons, like, fighting one another, but it's basically as just the fact that they are 
competing predators over right. what's on the planet already. Right. Um, I mean, the Nids will fight for survival, obviously. Like, if and, the Nids yeah. attack them, the Nids will fight back. <laughs> yes. Uh, although, one of the best stories is from the Blood Angels, where uh, High Fleet Leviathan attacked the Ball system, and uh, that was, like, the whole Shield of Ball uh, campaign back in, like, 7th edition, and there was uh, Devastation of Ball by, uh, I think it's Guy Haley. Uh, that one was a, a good book on on basically how the Blood Angels, like, pulled in, like, almost every successor chapter they had to push back the uh, High, you know, High Fleet Leviathan, and... One of the moon, like the the Nids had been attacking one of the moons of the ball system, and when the Blood Angels went there, like okay, now we're gonna have to clear out all the Nids out of this moon. They showed up, all the Nids were dead, and all their skulls had been piled up in the symbol of the uh, the Corn Bloodthirster Kabanda, who is one of the oldest foes of the Blood Angels, because Kabanda was basically saying they don't get to kill you, I will. <laughs> so. So at least corn demons are happy that Nids have skulls because right. there are skulls for the skull throne. <laughs> but yeah, Nids not happy with with demons because when you kill a demon, it just evaporates and they're so hungry, so hungry. Yeah. And so how how has this uh, been reflected in the rules now? I mentioned last episode that we are going to try something different for Codex reviews because there's. With any codex, and especially with ninth edition, codexes are getting more complex, and so there's a lot to absorb here. And rather than try to read the entire codex to you and, and give commentary, as we've dis- discovered, it's easy to miss things. So rather than try to hit everything in the book, we've decided to narrow this down to 10 things you need to know about the Tyranid Codex. Uh, mostly this is going to focus on what's changed, uh, but... We will also be like, we'll be talking about some new abilities and uh, like kind of giving an insight on like, this is how Nids are going to play. So first off, I mentioned Synapse creatures. I mentioned how they are the the nervous system of, of the hive. In the past, Synapse was basically, and, and it's kind of always been this way. It was a bubble of you you don't like in the past it was a bubble of fearless which meant you never failed morale checks and in eighth edition it was a bubble of you don't fail morale checks and it is still a bubble of not failing morale checks although the size of the bubble has shrunk to only six inches it used to be a 12 inch bubble it's now a six inch bubble and i think that's fine because they've actively tried to make morale more a part of this edition and making an army that can effectively be immune to uh to morale is not good for game balance, so they've they've kind of narrowed that down, right? And uh, of- I think uh, previously, like it has always come with like the counterbalance of a a detriment, which it was the uh, uh, instinctive behaviors, which were restrictions for units when they didn't have synapse. For the most part, that's that's gone now. Right. Yeah. In previous editions, like I know sixth and seventh edition actually had like behaviors that like if the creature fell out of synapse, it would just do this one thing and that's all it could do. Last edi- in eighth edition, it was if they did anything but attack the nearest creature, they took 
major penalties on doing it. Now, yeah, it's just instinctive behavior is just gone. If a creature's outside synapse, it just does whatever you want it to do. It just will be depend, you know, like it'll be subject to morale rules. And a lot of the smaller creatures do not have good morale. Like termagants, hormigons, gargoyles are like leadership five. So they start taking losses and they're not within synapse. They'll break pretty quickly. So it, it's still in your interest to to keep bubbles of synapse around. Although synapse is pretty easy to get. Uh, there's Tyranid Warriors as a troop unit that have synapse. All your psychic creatures have synapse. All Pretty much every HQ has synapse. So I think other than uh, Old One-Eye, the named Carnifex, he does not. But every other HQ has synapse. So it's easy to have these, these six-inch bubbles of, you know, not of auto passing morale. However, what's become more important with synapse creatures is first off synaptic links. Uh, this is one of the just the it, it's a little bit weird. I'm glad they they include a a diagram of this in the book on page yeah. uh, 87. And they they talked about this on Warhammer Community as well. So there's an article you can go to there to get more of the details. But outside of that six-inch bubble, there's also a synaptic link range of 12 inches from any synapse creature from a, a given hive fleet. And you're going to want to run things in the same hive fleet anyway to have access to all your other abilities. Anything within 12 inches of that synapse creature is considered within synaptic link range. However, if you have two synapse creatures within synaptic link range of each other, then everything within 12 inches of both of them is considered in the same synaptic link range. So you can actually chain together multiple HQs, and as long as they're all within 12 inches of each other, it's one chain of uh, synaptic link. Now, it actually has to be the synapse creatures within 12 inches of each other. If their bubbles just overlap a little bit, but they themselves aren't within range, then the link is broken. But yeah. But it means that, like, you can have a psyker on one end of the link chain target things because a lot of the psychic abilities have a range of synaptic link range. You could target something at the other end of the chain within the 12 inches of somebody at the end of the chain. So okay, that's scary. The, yeah, the range on your psychic abilities and on a lot of your HQ abilities is very can be very spread out. The question uh, I have about that one is for denies, would you have to be close to the original psyker or where the synaptic link is generating it from? Uh, ooh, that's I usually imagine, it's the original psyker. I, I imagine it's yeah the the source psyker. They are still okay. the ones manifesting the power. Got it. You, you're just modifying the range of the power essentially. Got it. Right, because like you know before a lot of the powers were like twelve or eighteen inch range, and now it could be like twenty four, thirty inch range if you have a large enough chain somehow. Like, as long as there are two synapse creatures touching, and then another two synapse creatures touching, and then another two synapse creatures touching, you know, their bubbles, it's all one continuous chain. 
So it, it, it can get pretty big and there are even ways to grant synapse to creatures that don't already have it. Uh, some of the things that you can do with synaptic link range and, and the abilities will specifically mention. So for example, hive tyrants, their will of the hive mind, which is the, the, like the captain style reroll ones to hit instead of being like a core unit within six inches, it's a core unit within synaptic link range. Uh, Swarm Lord has the Chapter Master style reroll, like pick a unit, and it rerolls everything to hit. Again, it's synaptic link range. They have a Hive Commander ability that grants objective secured to, or double objective secured to core units. Also, synaptic link range. Uh, Neurothropes uh, to other psychers grant uh, an extra D6 on psychic tests and discard whichever one you want. So you can increase the ability of. of of your uh, casting. Um, Tyranid Primes act like lieutenants. Core units get a re- to reroll ones to wound. Trigon Prime gives core units plus one to advance and charge rolls. Uh, and then like, like your psychic powers. Catalyst gives a five up feel no pain to anything within synaptic, like to a unit within synaptic link range. Onslaught takes away penalties for moving and firing and lets you charge after advancing to a unit in synaptic link range. Uh, the Horror is a minus two leadership, minus one on combat attrition tests to an enemy unit within synaptic link range. So it's not all these are buffs. Some of them can target things outside of that. Uh, Paroxysm uh, takes away overwatch and setting to defend and gives them min- gives an enemy unit minus one to hit in melee. Again, within synaptic link range. So if you build your synapse creatures and deploy them right and, and move them together, you can create a, a unit here. <laughs> you can create basically like a, a field of, I can target anything in this with one of my buffs or debuffs. It's really, really cool. And it's re- a really neat way of modeling that idea that this is all one hive mind that's interconnected. So to counter it, you f- shoot and try and kill something in the middle of the chain. Yeah. That's like that's pretty much what you have to do is you have to break the chain. So like taking things on the end will shorten their reach. Taking something in the middle might break it entirely. So that's yeah, that's the strategy to, to counter this. Now on top, so that's number one. So synapse has changed. It's now all about synaptic links. Number two is there's another ability that ties into synapse, and that's called synaptic imperatives. Uh Every type of unit in the game that has synapse natively. So if like, if you add synapse to a unit, it does not gain one of these abilities, but every synapse unit has a synaptic imperative ability. That unit can use that in particular imperative can be used once per game and you can only use, have one imperative going a turn and each of them basically create a six inch bubble around synapse creatures that are not auras, they work like auras, but they are not auras, so they are not subject to anything that shuts auras off. So if you have like a psychic power or an uh, artifact or something that, a relic that uh, causes an enemy unit to not be affected by auras, it will not stop synaptic imperatives from working. When you activate this, every synapse creature, regardless of type, gains the same six-inch bubble of effect. So as long as you have one of these creatures on the table and they do not have to be in synaptic link range of each other, it's just every one of them gets, like, in addition to the six-inch bubble of auto-passing morale, you get an additional synapse power. 
Uh, and they depend, like, like I said, each one depends on having that kind of creature on the table somewhere. So the high, high for example, hive tyrants have relentless ferocity, which, uh, when it's active, uh, friendly hive tendril units within six inches, uh, of the synapse model get, uh, can charge in a turn in which they fell back. And that suddenly you get that, that aura effect all over the table where you have synapse creatures. Uh, a Turvagon might give the uh, gives them a plus two inches to move. Neurothropes again plus one on psychic tests, plus one to deny, and a five up feel no pain against mortals. Tyranid warriors get their sixes to hit. If you roll a natural six and to hit melee, you get an ed- extra hit. Uh, Tyranid primes do the same thing for ranged weapons within twenty four inches of the target. Zoanthropes give monsters a four up invuln save, and non monsters a five up invuln save. So you can have one zoanthrope on, like one zoanthrope, you know, on the table can pop it. Every one of your synapse creatures creates a bubble of uh, four up invuln for monsters, five up invuln for everything else. And a fair number of the synapse creatures are monsters themselves. Um, the malice scepter creates a bubble of you can use range attacks without failing an action. You can use actions even if you advanced or fell back and psychers can use powers and do psychic actions without can do they can do both while that imperative is active so it's one of those rules that like it makes the army a little bit more complex but it's easy one of the easier ones to manage and i will say this is a case where you do want to buy the uh, data cards the uh, games workshop also did send us a set of the tier data cards and in this case i think it's important that if you want to play nids get the data cards because one of the things they give you is cards for all the synaptic imperatives. So you know what you can pick out which ones you have and you can like flip the card over once you've used it. So it's it's easier to track, but it it basically causes all your synapse creatures to boom, suddenly offer the same aura and being able to change it every turn based on what you brought on the table. And if one of your synapse creatures has died and you haven't used its imperative yet, there's even a stratagem called synaptic legacy that lets you use the synaptic imperative of a unit you had, but died. So even if they kill your hive tyrant, you can still use the hive tyrants uh, imperative. You just have to spend command points to do it. So this is a way that the army can suddenly adapt to the situations on the board. And then that takes us to uh, the third thing to know about the Tyranid codex. And that is how hive fleet adaptations work. And hyper adaptations. Uh, now, every army at this point has a chapter tactic of some sort, you know, something equivalent to that. And in this case, you know, like in the previous codex, there were high fleet adaptations for every high fleet. And this codex is no different in that regard. There are the named high fleets that have their particular uh, adaptations. And then there's the like, you can make your own as well. However, They've gone a bit different on this, and this is the game design on this is actually kind of brilliant. So every named hive fleet has two traits as their um, as their hive fleet adaptation. One of them is fixed. It will always be that ability. The other one is marked as adaptive. Adaptive traits can be swapped out for another trait from one of two lists based on which hive fleet it is after deployment and after you've determined who goes first. 
But they did do a callback to that old instinctive behavior of hunt, lurk, or feed, in that the the alternate adaptations you can take are broken into groups of hunt biomorphologies, lurk biomorphologies, and feed biomorphologies. And the fact that you can do this, you don't do this during army building. Like when you when you're doing army building, you just pick like this is the high fleet I want to play. So I, I want to play high fleet behemoth. I want to play high fleet leviathan. But when you sit down, like you you've seen your opponent's army, you've seen how they've deployed. It's time, like we've determined who's going first. Now you can decide: Do I go with just the stock adaptive ability, or do I change it out? So, for example, let's say you're playing high fleet behemoth. High Fleet Behemoths, their their main adaptation is hyper-aggression. Each time a unit with this adaptation fights, if it made a charge move, was charged, or heroically intervened this turn, then until that fight is resolved, add one to its strength. High Fleet Behemoth armies, they will always have that. That is always active in every game. Their other trait is you can reroll charge rolls made for units from your army with this adaptation. Now, that's great, but you might be fighting an army that is already is, that is going to assault. It, it wants to come to you. You don't really need to worry about you know failing charges because they like you're going to make charges or they're going to charge you. So in which case you could swap that out for either a hunt biomorphology or a lurk biomorphology. So for example, hunt, um, you might pick. Uh, oh, you may maybe you pick. Uh, Synaptic goading at the start of the first battle round, uh, your little gribblies, anything with the endless multitude keyword, uh, get a normal six inch move. You want to push them forward even faster. Maybe you're running a lot of hormigons and want to just charge forward. Or, uh, maybe you pick ambush predators units with this adaptation are eligible to heroically intervene as if they were a character unit. Your entire army gets the ability to heroically intervene, which also keys into your plus one strength. So maybe that un- that army is going to move to you. They get within six inches. You can heroically intervene, or they get within three inches. They can- you can heroically intervene in them if they did if they got close enough and didn't charge you. Uh, you might or you might pick a lurk morphology, which uh, maybe you uh, are facing a psychic army. You take synaptic gang- ganglia. You can reroll deny the witch tests taken for units with this adaptation. And uh, your psychic power ranges are three inches further, so that synaptic link range gets bumped up three inches for the purpose of psychic powers. Or uh, maybe you're running a lot of monsters and you take unfeeling resilience, which causes your units to count as having double their wounds remaining to to determine which bracket they're on. So you can you can shift out those abilities based on what you're facing. Like if you're if you're going to face something that's going to come at you, you don't need to worry about rerolling charge ranges, and you change it out. Uh, and all of the named uh, high fleets have this ability. Uh, it's just which which one which ones they can swap out for are different. There's two that have hunt and lurk. There are two that have lurk and feed, and there's two that have hunt and feed. So, for example, Behemoth, Hunt and Lurk. Hive, uh, Kraken, Feed and Hunt. Leviathan, Feed and Hunt. Gorgon, Feed and Lurk. Jormungandr, Hunt and Lurk. Kronos, Feed and Lurk. And Hydra, Feed and Hunt. So, actually, I think that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven combinations. As far as the, the 
stock abilities, the ones that always stay the same. Uh, we mentioned Behemoth. It's that plus one strength, one charge, war charge, heroically intervened. Kraken gets uh, improved armor, penetration, uh, all like all their melee attacks, uh, if they charge, get better AP by one. Uh, Leviathan. All your synapse creatures have uh, transhuman physiology. You can't wound them on anything worse than a four. And their non-synapse creatures get that uh, can't can't be wounded on ones and twos if they're within synaptic link range. Gorgon uh, gets four ups to wound with all their attacks, or yeah, with all their attacks unless it's against a vehicle or a Titanic unit. Uh, Jormungandr uh, gets better cover for their monsters outside of 18 inches away and their non-monsters outside of 12 inches. Uh, Kronos gets 4 inches of extra range on all their ranged attacks. Hydra gets plus 1 to hit with their attacks if they have more models than the opposing unit, and in this case, vehicles and monsters count as 5 models. And so those are the, the fixed abilities that will always be there. So you kind of pick one of those to fit your play style. And then after that, it can change from game to game. It's like such a cool way of modeling how adaptive this army can be. It's like, oh, you're throwing this at me. I'm going to I'm going to play like this instead. Well, still, you still have access to your Hive Fleet Relic, your Hive Fleet Stratagem, your Hive Fleet Warlord trait. And your Hive Fleet Psychic Power, even. And again, those also, like, most of those work within uh, Synaptic Link Range as well. So, like, everything is kind of keyed to tie together and make this faction very, very adaptable. As they should be. I think this is a really neat way to model this. That takes us to number four on our list, Adaptive Physiologies. Uh, this is the equivalent of like the one-off unit up, non-relic upgrades that you pay points for, uh, similar to like, upgrading uh, somebody to a Chapter Master or a Master of Sanctity or giving them uh, like the prototype war gear for Tau, things like that. In this case, these are add-ons that you can give to your monsters uh, not counting characters or Titanic models. So your Swarm Lord is always just going to be a Swarm Lord. He doesn't get access to any of these. But if you just took a generic Hive Tyrant, you could give it to that. Or maybe you want to give it to a Tyrannifex or uh, a Maliceptor or a Harpy, something like that. Uh, all of these cost between 10 to 25 points. They raise your power level by one or two. Uh, raises it by two if it's a 25-point upgrade. And uh, you do do this during army building. So this is not one you pick at the beginning of the game. This one is you, you have this built into your list because it does affect your point cost. Uh, the two best ones are probably Dermic Symbiosis, which just gives the monster a four up invulnerable save, which that's always been one of the, the issues that Nids have had is survivability and uh, a lack of, Invulnerable saves, you can now address that directly by giving it, by spending 25 points to give it an, a four up invulnerable save. That's pretty nice. Yeah, you know, that one is, is really good. And then there's the other one I think of note. This is one of the cheapest ones at 10 points. In fact, it is the cheapest one. It's the only 10 point upgrade, but it's potentially one of the most powerful synaptic enhancement. This creature now has synapse, shadow, and the warp, and the synapse keyword. So 
if you, like I've seen some recommendations of putting this on a harpy so you can fly your synapse around, which is is like put it like wherever you need it to be on the chain. Uh, that's potentially very powerful. There, there's a like there's a couple of others like hardened biology reduces or improves your armor against attacks of uh, like damage one. I don't think that's this that's that important because there's a lot of two up armor on the monsters in this. Like most of the monsters now have two up armor, so I don't know how important that one's going to be. Predator instincts gives you a lets you heroically intervene like a character at six inches instead of three. Uh, voracious ammunition lets you do mortal wounds on a, uh, two up after shooting at an enemy unit. So if you are, if you're running like a dock effects with lots, like lots of gun, um, it could do more mortal wounds after it shoots. Uh, so I mean, there's, there's a number of things you can attach to your, your monsters, but I'd say you're the ones you're going to see most often are that dermic symbiosis for the invulnerable save and synaptic enhancement and synaptic enhancement at being 10 points is so easy to throw in. Like it's so easy to just like find 10 points and give somebody else synapse. And, and I did mention it does get grant the shadow of the warp or shadow and the warp ability, uh, shadow and the warp, uh, which is something that, all the other synapse creatures have, although it is considered a, a separate ability, is uh, psychers are at um, minus one to psychic tests if they're within 18 inches of the unit. And if they suffer perils, they take an extra mortal wound, which means it's just generally bad to be psychic around Tyranids. But it's like it. I think Shadow and the Warp abilities have been worse in the past. This one's. Mild, but it definitely will have an effect. It it will it will cause some psychic powers to fail or make others easier to deny. Yeah. Number five on our list: Death Throws. Now, this is an ability that is not on a. It is not like a, a army wide rule, but it is a rule that appears on a lot of the monsters in this army. Uh, Death Throws is their equivalent of explodes. They had this in 8th edition, and in 8th edition it functioned almost exactly like exploding. It basically, uh, you'd roll a die when it died on a 6-up. Everything within 6 inches would take like D3 mortal wounds. And so it was one of those things like, oh, it's a little bit dangerous to have things near my monsters because if my monster dies, it'll explode and kill a few things with it. Now, Death Rose has changed so that rather to model the idea that the creature is fighting furiously as it dies and wildly lashing around, instead of exploding in a bubble, it targets the nearest enemy model within range, which is normally six inches, and does mortal wounds to just that enemy unit. If there is no enemy unit within range, nobody takes damage. Nids will not randomly flail and kill their own. Hooray! Disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) You liked popping them and making them explode, didn't you? I actually didn't fight any Nids that exploded, so... Well, now now the only one who will... Like, if you fight them in melee and they die and they death throw, you have only yourself to blame as you take the damage. Because you're the only one that will. No, I'll blame the Tyranid player that rolled the dice to make them death throw. (laughs) I don't believe there's a strat that allows them to automatically uh, 
death row. Although Good. the uh, the synaptic imperative for the uh, Trigon Prime uh, gives you plus three on your death throws roll and a <laughs> six up death roll death throw on models that don't have it that can only cause one mortal wound. <laughs> wow. So it, it's like if you're cut like that i would never really use that one but if you were like had a unit that was just gonna die you could trick or like you had a couple of units that were gonna die you could like basically trigger them as suicide bombs like yeah go ahead and kill them they'll take you down right and uh so now speaking of the monsters since monsters are the ones that normally have death rows number six monsters generally got tougher and meaner in this army Many monsters. I, in fact, I would say nearly all of them. I th- I think pretty much every monster in the army got stat buffs of some sort or other. Generally, better toughness, better armor, more wounds. In some cases, better strength, and in many cases, something. Uh, they like a lot of a lot of the nids in the Eighth Edition Codex. Their strength or attacks or both would degrade as they died. Now, in almost, I think in almost every case, the only things that degrade are their movement and their weapon skill and ballistic skill. Hive Tyrants on foot uh, gained plus one toughness to eight and a uh, two up armor. Winged Winged Hive Tyrants, which are now a separate data sheet, did not get that benefit. They are, but they did get plus one strength as well. So all hive tyrants are strength seven winged ones are tough. Seven foot ones are tough. Eight Uh, foot ones have two up armor and they also got an extra attack. uh, Swarm Lord got the same, uh, same upgrades plus one as a foot hive tyrant plus one toughness, a two up armor an extra wound and three extra attacks that don't degrade because that doesn't degrade on their data sheet. Um, Turvagons, three extra wounds and two up armor and an extra attack. Toxicrine, plus one toughness, plus three wounds, plus six attacks. And their strength <laughs> and attacks don't degrade. They're up to like 12 attacks now. Oof. Wow. And, and in some cases, like some of the ones that got extra attacks, it's like they had a weapon that would give them one extra attack when, like, when you attack with this weapon, you get an extra attack. They, the weapon doesn't have that ability. They've just rolled it rolled it all into the uh the data like the the stat line itself and in those many of those cases i think they just just have they end up with more attacks anyway um the maliceptor plus one toughness plus three wounds uh, an extra psychic power that they can cast and their strength doesn't degrade and they've got really nasty uh weapons as well um their massive scything claws uh used to have uh, they were like, you used to be like at strength with like a, a minus two AP and D six damage. Now they have two modes. One that is like at base strength and like minus, I think like minus two AP f- that gets double attacks for killing infantry. And then they get one that's like at plus three strength. So they're hitting like strength 10 minus three AP two D three damage. So not only did Maliceptors, their strength doesn't degrade. They got, uh, and they got more wounds, which I think they're up to like 15 now. The downside on, on getting more wounds on some of these is that for like the mission, bring it down in match play, they actually will give up more victory points, but good luck because they're going to be tough. 
And, yeah. and this continues on down the line. That was always one thing that I was very frustrated in with the with Tyranids is there were versions of the Codex where there just absolutely were no ways of getting two plus armor saves. Yeah, that's not a problem anymore. They're yeah. all over the place. Um, Haraspex is two up armor. Exocrine is two up armor. Um, Carnifexes have two up armor now and an extra wound. They're up to nine wounds, which means they still don't degrade. And uh, they also, Carnifexes got core. They're the only monsters to have core. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. That is terrifying. Yeah. Um, the the screamer killer variant of of Carnifexes gets plus six attacks as well. <laughs> it's rocking ten attacks. Um, but yeah, most of these these are gonna these are almost all like Carnifexes are actually the weakest at like strength six, tough seven. Most of the army is strength seven, tough seven, or tough eight. Almost all these monsters are like twelve to fifteen wounds. Um, like Tranifex got plus three wounds. It also got two up armor. Even the flyers, the hive crone and the harpy, plus one toughness, an extra wound. They went from four up to three up armor and got an extra attack. The trigon got six extra attacks. The Maulock got nine extra attacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it's sixteen attacks now. It's insane. And its prehensile jaws, which was just a weapon it could use, you just got an extra swing with the uh, the prehensile jaws, is now an ability that can cause mortal wounds when it attacks, rather than actually being an attack that just does damage. So, like, a lot of the monsters are just bigger and nastier, and, and they, like... And they all ser serve different roles. Like the Turvagon is still there to generate uh, Termagants. It can't... It can heal termagant units every turn and then once per game it can spit out a free unit of 10 termagants without costing you any like reinforcement points you don't have to set aside points for it in your army list just once per game bleh, new unit of, ter of 10 termagants that's nice and uh and if you have a unit of 15 or more termagants within so many inches of the turvagon you can't target the turvagon hmm. um Maliceptors are still uh, psychic powerhouses. They still have an ability that, like, when they cast psychic powers, they can do mortal wounds to something around them. Not as many units as before, but uh, but they also have a, a psychic action that they can use instead of casting to reduce the amount of damage they take from things. So, uh, Maliceptors, more wounds, tougher, nastier weapons, more psychic powers, more psychic abilities. Maliceptors are very big in this list um yeah like trigons and malocs can still burrow in from a uh, underground and yes the trigon prime gets the same upgrades as the trigon so if you want to take one as an hq uh you still get that same better stat line uh many of the weapons i already mentioned the maliceptors uh massive scything claws a lot of the the generic massive scything claws got replaced with specific scything claws. Like there's Trigon scything claws, Carnifex scything claws, Screamer Killer scything claws. So there's not one consistent stat line, unfortunately. Uh, as far as guns, though, some of this has been covered on Warhammer Community. Uh, heavy Venom Cannons, which are very common on things like Hive Tyrants and Carnifexes. Uh, they get three shots instead of D3. 
They get plus one AP. They're AP minus four now, I believe. Or maybe AP minus... Let's see. Maybe only AP minus three. Heavy Phantom Cannon. AP minus three, but four damage. Um, Stranglethorn Cannons get D3 plus three shots instead of D6. So they're getting more consistently more shots. And plus one strength and plus one AP over what they had before. Toxicreens with the big whip tentacles. All their attacks, because they are toxic... Wound non-vehicles and non-Titanic targets on a two-up, something they did not do in the last Codex. Also, they have 12 attacks, so it's insane. The Tyrannofex Rupture Cannon. This one was covered on uh, Warhammer Community as well. It is now Strength 14, AP minus 4, D6 plus 4 damage, and uh, Heavy 3. That thing is going to pop tanks and vehicles. I mean, that th- with a good turn of shooting, that thing can pop a knight. Well, D6 plus four. Yeah, no, it could. With good rolling, it could. It could kill a knight. Yeah. Cripple it, if nothing else. So, yeah, if you like, if you like playing what's referred to as the Nidzilla list, where you have a lot of big creatures, or we'll mention, we'll talk about Crusher Stampede in a little bit. Uh, if you like big monsters... You will not be disappointed by the upgrades they've all gotten in the Nid Codex. Uh, Carnifexes also, by the way, not only are they core, which means they are one of the few non-troop units to be able to benefit from all those synaptic link upgrades. Um, they're also available in groups of three. They now they always were. That's not something new in this Codex, unlike Void Weavers. But you can take nine of them in the list, which. Also scary because I they're mean, also relatively cheap. Really considering the fact that Carnifexes have three different variants, which are three different uh, data sheets. Data sheets. True. Yep. Yeah, you could take. You can. You can have for- it like provided you have 27? you're playing the points you can take 28 if you include old one eye old one eye oh yeah 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 you could that's, oh god uh, that's that i mean and this like the, the the stock carnifex is the most customizable but like the screamer killers still really scary thornbacks can do some some nasty shooting although they it does not have heavy, heavy venom cannons and cannot take them fortunately but yeah they're still what you wouldn't want to face one in a dark alley um yeah no carnifex is like you're going to see a i think we're going to see a lot of carnifexes on the table they're they're just they're they're inexpensive for what they they provide and they're with the two up save they're tough as nails i mean i've got two feelings on that one i think it's good to see them back on the table because back Back in the day, like Carnifexes were like a signature unit. Like yeah, they they you, were. You saw them everywhere. You, I mean, when I started playing Tyranids, like you had two monstrous creatures. You had Carnifexes and you had Hive Tyrants. Anything yep. else was like Forge World. <laughs> True, and so I think yeah. it's good to see them back on the table. But I, I do think I am afraid of spam of them. Yeah, yeah yeah that's i mean they already have the like they already reduce incoming damage by one although they do specify it doesn't stack with any other abilities that provide the same bonus so you know you don't need to to take special abilities to get that they do get an extra attack when they charge or heroically intervene so there's even they're still very nasty in close combat 
yeah, they're just, they're really solid. They do have death throws. To, they can only cause a mortal wound within three inches. So, like, you don't expect to suicide them and, like, take out a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, no, Carnifexes are, are in a really good spot in this book. They Yeah, they weren't taken for a long time, and I think... They're going to be a really solid option. And being monsters, there's a lot of things that they can benefit from as well. Like uh, Leviathan Carnifexes that only get hit or that can't be wounded on ones on uh, unmodified one to three. Oh, my gosh. And we yeah. Have 27 yeah. of them. <laughs> Just nine <laughs> is bad enough. I mean, nine's still going to be like over a thousand points. So, I mean, it's going to be huge. like I don't think you've got the points to to fully flesh out. Carnifexes in a two thousand point game, but in a in a okay, but just yeah. nine nine Carnifexes is you know is is enough to cause some real real trouble. Yeah, since that's at least two hundred more points than nine Void Reavers. Yeah. <laughs> now monsters are all really cool. The monsters are, are really awesome, but let's not ignore what I've been referring to as the small griblies, your your termagants, your hormigons, and your gargoyles. Um, they have received a number of upgrades as well. Now, obviously, they're nowhere, they're like, they're no match for Marines necessarily. But for one thing, they all, their armor's all moved from six up to five up, meaning they actually have armor that might do something. Yeah. Flesh borers, uh, which both Termagants and Gargoyles carry stock, went from 12 to 18, 18 inch range, much like guardian shuriken cannons and gained plus one strength and plus one AP. So it's 18 inch range, five strength minus one AP. Like, I don't think you need to swap to devourers now. Yeah. I mean, devourers were always just number of shots over, over armor penetration. Um, but yeah, true. like, I mean, so hey, I, I, I haven't really looked at devourers. Well, the new okay, so termagant devourers are only assault two and strength three, whereas the flesh borer is assault one, strength five, same range. So you're getting an extra attack, but you're much less likely to wound or stick the wound. Um, Right. Yeah. I. So yeah, devourers will probably have still some limited use for because like a big unit that has a bunch of devourers will still put out a lot of shots if you really oh yeah yeah like a, a unit of you want yeah and unit way, 30 to, way to fire is nice if you're taking on things that can't be wounded on one twos and threes oh. that is true that yeah. is true i mean if you're already only wounding on fives or sixes anyway one thing I speaking of devourers, one thing I did think was interesting is that the uh the twin link devourers used to be able to take on hive tyrants is gone. That's no longer an option. That's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry for anybody who's gonna have to uh I mean now, I I I'm trying to remember if that was even a an option included in the new Hive it, Tyrant kit and if it, that was it, one that they had like kit bash else that, elsewhere. That's that's pretty much always been either a kit bash or there was a Forge World uh ah, Twin gotcha. Link Devourer monstrous like double twin link devourer piece that was made. But yeah, so that that's no longer an option. Um but anyway, getting back to to the little guys, 
like their their guns have better range. A Hormigant's got two extra inches of movement, which means they're more more likely to get up within charge range that much faster. Um, also, all three of these Termagants, Hormigants, and Gargoyles got the swarming masses rule, which increases the amount of uh, the amount of engagement range they effectively have. So, like determining who can fight in combat. Normally, it's you're either in engagement range or within an inch of someone in engagement range. For the swarming masses rule, it's engagement range and anything within two and a half inches of the enemy, which generally works out oh, to be an extra half inch, but it, that's an extra row of, of gaunts that yeah. can fight. Yeah. Oh. So, theoretically, like a swarm of 30 Hormigaunts that gets into combat, pretty much all 30 of them will be able to swing. Or very close to it. Real, like, that, that really magnifies their damage output for... I mean, and Hormigaunts are already, like, three attacks and, uh, they get an extra three inch pile in move. So like they're going to be able to swarm you and get in. And uh, they're like, you'll probably want to take adrenal grand. Or, you'll probably want to take adrenal glands on them, gives them an extra inch of move, getting them up to 11 and an extra strength. So now they're hitting at strength for three attacks each. Um, and with like, 20 to 30 of them I, that like you'll just you know you talk about weight of fire like weight of attacks here will just wear anybody down with that many of them and their ta- talons are at ap minus one so they're yeah, also I, more likely to stick those wounds yeah i think like hormigons are a thing like you didn't really see on the table for quite a while and i i think we'll we'll start seeing them yeah, uh, and I think that's one of the things I'm noticing about this because of like all the various unit upgrades, you know, because units are tougher and in many cases they're better at doing the jobs they had before. Um, you're going to see like the opportunity for seeing more of these on the table, depending on how you want to build, is is still strong. Uh, be- I, I better than it. Don't has been. know that we'll see more of these guys just because of the blast rules and. I don't think they will be survivable enough. I mean, they they can maybe get in at one turn and kill one thing, but then I see them getting like blown off the board with AOE stuff. Um, it depends on uh, what other like other benefits you get because like if somebody takes a uh, a zoanthrope and you know pops their synaptic imperative of your non monsters get a five up invulnerable save. You know, suddenly that, that would help, but five yeah, up is still it, not a great save. It, it's not going to save at you know, it's not going to save a ton of them, but it's still you know an opportunity for like having what. And again, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, if you're if you're busy dealing with my hormigons, you're not dealing with the nine carnifexes I've also taken. <laughs> also, with uh, the there's a as far as like wiping out the unit that may even be a little bit harder because there's also a stratagem called uh, the Endless Swarm, which allows you to return D3 plus three models to an Endless Multitude unit, which is Termagons, uh, Hormigons, and Gargoyles. And you can put, and when you place them, you can place them back in engagement range of a unit that they were in engagement range with already. Uh, And I'm assuming this is as long as that unit's still alive, right? Yeah, yeah, the unit has to survive. (laughs) But it gets reinforcements. 
but yeah, it can get reinforcements. And if you're within six inches of the synapse creature, yeah, sure, maybe you take some heavy losses. You don't break off. Yeah, you don't have to worry about combat attrition. None of them, none of them run away. So, like, depending on how you how you layer your attacks, like Hormigons can actually get work done. Um, Termigons with the extra range can actually get some good shooting done. Uh, gargoyles, which have been moved to troops, by the way, are you know are now f- you know flying termagants, which also makes them know. like you can take small units of them for dropping down on objectives and their infantry, so they can perform actions. Kind of sad that Tyranids get things moved to troops, and Eldar had keeps having things moved away from troops. Well, it, well we it's also funny you mentioned that because. We also had stuff that was moved away from troops as well. Right. Okay, that that, could, that, that, yeah, that's number eight, number eight. <laughs> a lot of stuff moved around. A lot of units in this book moved around. And, that, and, and I think it evens out a lot of the – it evens out a number of the slots because there were some slots that just had like hardly anything in them. Like fast attack didn't have a whole lot in them. Uh, heavy support had – a bunch of stuff in it. Elites had a bunch of stuff in it. Um, and so a number of units have been moved around. Uh, Trigon Primes went from being a heavy support to being an actual HQ unit now. Uh, Gargoyles, as I mentioned, they went from fast attack to troops. Gene Stealers, on the other hand, went from being troops to being elites. And they also have kind of changed roles a bit rather than being like the fast assault um, close combat blender that they were in previous codexes and that they have been in gene stealer cults, which we'll talk about eventually once I find out where they're hiding. Um, they're now like they scout and then they can create these infestation nodes. Like they can either take an action to make one or you can start the game with one and if a gene stealer cult unit is, or not gene stealer cult, if a gene stealer unit is near an infestation node, they can get back like D3 destroyed models and kind of like keep refreshing the unit. But they don't really do the same role. And so they've been moved out of troops into elites. So like troops are generally restricted to the little bitty guys or Tyranid warriors, which we were wondering if they were going to move or not. They did not. They are still troops and they are still synapse. Yeah. <clears throat> and. The, the other change to gene, big change to gene stealers, they went down in their max unit size. They yep, were 20. Now they're mm-hmm. down to 10. Yeah. That's which, not a small change. Yeah. So th- they serve a very different role. I th- and I think it's so that they're not stepping all over hormigons. Cause like, why would you take a hormigon when you could take gene stealers? Yeah. Um, let's see. Ripper swarms got moved from, uh, troops to fast attack i think pretty much ensuring that nobody's going to take them other than being created by the uh, parasite of mortrex which uh, i don't know if the, the parasite of mortrex is kind of a weird case model where it doesn't have like it has some interesting abilities but not a whole lot of strong abilities the more yeah. i look at it and its big thing is it's a fast attack synapse provider so it can it can fly around and be a spot in the chain, but there are other things that can do the same thing. Yeah, uh, it might be an interesting take. I, I it's very flavorful, but like I don't. Yeah. Um, 
Malocks and Trigons went from heavy support to fast attack, which is interesting, but it gets everything that can basically burrow up from out of the ground in the same slot, because Raveners are there as well. So, uh, it's interesting. Like, so, like, fast attack has really basically been, like, if you're a non-flyer unit with fly, or you're a burrower, you've been moved to fast attack. Toxicrines went from being heavy support to elite, which puts them in the same group as Maliceptors, which is appropriate. They're from the same kit. Uh, and then finally, Hiveguard went from being elites to being heavy support. And I think partially that's because you have more elite slots available than heavy support slots. And they wanted to uh, weaken Hiveguard because Hiveguard were a, like, if you weren't playing Crusher Stampede, Hiveguard were like being spammed because of the ability to shoot without. Uh, line of sight and having very strong guns and just being an absolute pain to deal with. And that takes us to number nine, Hiveguard, who were one of the, the shining stars of the 8th edition NID Codex. They get nerfed. Um, not only did they get moved to heavy support, meaning you can take fewer of them, but their ability to shoot something without line of sight requires you to have a synapse unit within line of sight of the thing you want to shoot at. But you're also still limited by a 24-inch range, so you have to kind of arrange your shots a bit differently. And so they just like need a spotter. You need a spotter, and it has to be a synapse spotter. Yeah. So I mean, they're not nearly as useful as they used to be. Yeah, and their point cost went up considerably. Right. They. Yeah, they were just they flew too close to the sun, and yep. so they have been been burned and sent down to sent down to heavy support. I think they'll still be usable, but you you won't see them like you, you used to, yeah. No, no, I mean, they're it, it, like, like a lot of stuff in the Codex, there's still a role for them, and they're not bad at it, but they're, they're not like the must-take that they were before. Yeah. And then that takes us to number 10, the last thing to know about the Tyranid Codex, and if you're looking at this from a competitive point of view, this is a very interesting, or this is a very important bit of news you need to know. Crusher Stampede. Hey everybody, Rob here. It's actually a good thing that editing on this episode got a bit delayed, because just as I was about to uh, work on finishing up editing, Games Workshop dropped a uh, document to list what is and is not a legal supplement now for matched play. And one of the things that was listed was Crusher Stampede. If you're unfamiliar with Crusher Stampede, it was a uh, Tyranid supplement, an army of renown that was uh, printed in White Dwarf number 471 and focused primarily on running an all-giant monsters army. And Crusher Stampede has been one of the dominant uh, tournament builds, not quite to the level of like Harlequins, but it's been uh, throwing its weight around quite successfully. And there were some very legitimate concerns that... With the way the Codex is now, Crusher Stampede would be broken. So Games Workshop took that into account after they released their balanced data slate, which we will cover in our next episode. But uh, just so everyone knows, uh, Crusher Stampede is not legal anymore. And so this entire section that we recorded discussing Crusher Stampede, uh, we're just going to go ahead and cut out because it's irrelevant now. So uh, this is a last minute uh, update and insert into the episode. So anyway, back to the rest of the episode. 
in which we also discuss that what might happen if Crusher Stampede is made no longer legal. Back to our show. Um, I mean, Crusher Stampede was good with how the Tyranid Codex was working up until now. Assuming that there are no changes to it, assuming they don't like make it like Crusher Stampede no longer, you know, is, is now rotted out. It doesn't count anymore. At rules as written, Crusher Stampede armies. So if you like playing Nidzilla and you are not in love with a particular Hive Fleet's adaptation, um, it's still an extremely viable way to play. I think like there's some, still some really good stuff to be had, but. You know, just using the stock codex, I think the stock codex will do fine. But, I mean, Crusher Stampede was already good, and we're already dealing with one army that is full-on broken. And I am I have seen concerns, and I, I don't disagree with them, that some of the things that, like, Carnifexes can do and some of the other builds that are able to be done with just the units in this codex could break the game again. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen. <laughs> and that's that's our 10 things to know about the Tyranid Codex. Richard, you are our resident Tyranid expert. What is your take on this book? Um, I I like a lot of the, like, the, the numbers went up. I like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, there's a change in, in how certain things are going to get used. I mean... In general, yeah, I think you're going to see less gene stealers. You're going to see more carnifexes. You're you're going to see less hive guard. But I mean, overall, I'm pretty happy with like what I'm seeing overall. And I I think there's going to be some very interesting builds. Um, we'll we'll see. Somebody will surely somebody will break something in this book i think oh i'm sure <laughs> yeah it's it's a i mean it's good i i think if if you're a tiered player of any any stripe whether you're you're like going competitive or not like there's nothing to not like other than like yeah a couple of things got nerfed um i did notice the red terror no longer has a stat line but the red terror hasn't had a a model produced in a while so yeah. that's probably why also, I'm surprised by how like the the parasite of Mortrex is barely bigger than a uh, barely bigger than a Tyranid war- warrior. So yeah, I mean that's not terribly surprising. That that's that really was like a a a winged hived uh, winged warrior was basically what he was a special variant of. So yeah, fair fair. Um, and like, there's other things we haven't really touched on, like uh, Lictors and and Death Leaper is, is looks to be really potentially nasty. Pyrovores don't suck. <laughs> like Pyrovores actually are decent now, but they didn't make the uh, list. They no, they didn't make the top. T- I, I there, I think there are bigger things to address, but they're not terrible. Like they're they're a viable elite choice now, which is good. Yeah, like Death Leaper, I I think. Death Leaper is interesting in that he has an ability that just makes it so that units around him can't use stratagems. Yep. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, Which can't I, be the target I, of stratagems. Can't perform actions. Right. Like, uh, I I think 
there actually will be like use in taking him just for that ability. Oh yeah. He can pop up out of pieces of terrain so long as he's nine inches. Like he's, he can pop up within six inches of the terrain. And as long as he's outside that nine inch bubble from uh, enemy units, but then he can reroll charge ranges or charge rolls that turn. So it's like, he can like, you can send death leaper, like death leaper does what he's, what he does on the, what it says on the tin is like, he can leap, leap characters to death and just give somebody a real bad time. Yeah, like Death Leaper's good. Lictors are 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 a neat choice. Um, and yeah, it's like like we've hit on most of the stuff, but like yeah, like you said, numbers go up. Everything in here is better at doing what it did before, other than maybe Gene Stealers. They they got moved around and became weird, and Hive Guard got moved around and became a bit weird. But I I I think probably so that Gene Stealers didn't steal the thunder of Gene Stealer cults. Kind of let them like pure strange gene stealers be their own thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think this, this book is going to come out of the gate strong, I think. And the fact that you can adapt to your opponents, like you can adapt to your opponent and their deployment for that matter. And like their particular army list uh, with the, the hyper adaptations, I think is a really like a really strong ability, but it's still, constricted in such a way that you can't just do anything it's it your 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 hive fleet choice still kind of sculpts where you're gonna go with your army list i don't think there's necessarily a bad hive fleet i think there's a couple that are better like leviathan is strong behemoth is strong uh gorgon potentially with like always wounding on four ups is strong but I, I think I think it's a just it's a generally good book, and I it definitely puts them in in uh, you know as as a real army to contend with in ninth edition, which is good. I'm just hoping it doesn't make them the army to contend with in ninth edition because we don't need more of that. We need a bunch of good armies, not one amazing army. Yeah. Well, we'll see if knights can knock them down because knights should be next, right? Uh, theoretically, knights and or chaos knights are next, so we'll see what happens when, uh, when those books drop. Hopefully it'll do something reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to see, and and also it'll, it's going to depend a lot on, um, the balance data slate. It'll be interesting, I think, if the balance data slate not only addresses, like I said, Harlequins, Tau, custodes but maybe also like like preemptively addresses tier like crusher stampede before the codex actually drops to the public since it's just up for pre-order now that would be nice but uh, we'll see what happens but yeah if you're a tiered player i don't think there's anything you're going to dislike other than maybe having to take those twin link devourer arms off your uh off your fly rinse but you'll just replace them with heavy venom cannons and you'll be very happy. Ah, and I think that takes us over to hobby progress. I have a detached, I have the entire onslaught or not onslaught. I have the entire spearhead detachment of, uh, Deathwing primed and ready to begin painting next week. Um, I also, painted up the last of my uh, Adeptus Titanicus uh, Imperial Knights to use as the 
part of the trophy for the uh, night joust at uh, Midwest Conquest. So I was, I love those models, and I'm ama- always amazed by the amount of detail they threw on to a, a knight the size of a Terminator. So, because uh, I mean, it like the one I have there is a I think a knight errant, the one with the thermal cannon and and uh, chainsword, and it. Like, if you scaled it up, it would look just about right down to the little rungs on the ladder, like the ladder, ladder rungs on the cockpit and or on the top carapace and, like, all the the pistons and everything on the back legs are all modeled there. Although, it's really easy to put together. So, like, how they did the CAD work and cut the model and and and, and created it is actually really impressive. I love... If... If I didn't already have more than enough models and games to deal with, Titanicus <laughs> is one that would would tempt me. It would tempt me. I have the rule set for it, but I don't have any any actual models for it, and that's probably a good thing. But yeah, uh, I, I don't have the time for it. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm looking re- getting ready to to paint a bunch of Dark Angels. Okay, I guess for me, I have officially signed up for the narrative event at the Dallas Open at the end of the month. Um, so that has kind of been the deadline slash kick in the rear to get me to get all my Eldar painted because I'm going to take Eldar there. So um, I have the Banshees done. I'm working on Shroud Runners now. Um, I still need to prime and then paint all of my Guardians. Like I'm going to do 20 normal guardian defenders and 20 storm guardians so there's another 40 to do and i had a little snafu with my rangers because my old rangers i primed black and painted but i've been enjoying contrast painting and so then i tried contrast on black and found that no no it doesn't work at nope. all not at all <laughs> i mean i probably should have known that but i wasn't thinking at the time and i didn't know i was going to contrast use contrast on them so i have to reprime those and then start painting but then they'll match all the rest of the guardians paint wise um so that's a good thing and so yeah it's it's just a bunch of a paint month for me, and then when this is done, I get to start painting my Midwest Conquest army. Woo-hoo. So lots and lots of painting, and then hopefully that'll be. I'll take us maybe a summer break until League of Photon comes out, and then I have to get ready for whatever fall things we go to. <laughs> uh, for me, I put together a uh, big Ed boss bunker. Ah, yes. I saw. remember when you posted that to chat, that you'd pick that up. And also finally put together um, uh, a hunter rig and, and a warboy. Oh, cool. How'd that go together? Um, it, it's got a, a few spots where, like, the following the directions as they are, there's a few spots where you put together like certain assembly parts to it and then you have to kind of like squeeze in like tabs like around like another piece that m- makes it kind of hard to fit together it it's kind of strange like f- for the most part it went together pretty well but there was just a couple of spots where it would it was just weirdly difficult to get it to to 
snap together right. It It is kind of interesting how the difference between the hunter rig and the kill rig, like it would, I, I didn't magnet mod it or anything, but it would be, I think, fairly easy to magnet mod them. So not so wildly different that it's that it would be impossible to swap them out. Right, yeah. Just take a little bit of work. Yep. Yeah, like, I, there's been a couple of kits. Like, I know, like, when they, like, the Bellacor kit, they actually had to release, like, a separate PDF of instructions because there was something wrong with the original instructions. But I've also noticed, like, there have been a couple of cases on, like, when I was putting together the Stormcast Eternals from Dominion or some of the stuff for, like, the Dark Angels, where, and I don't know if it's a side effect of, like, the CAD software they're using or what, but they're not always the most elegant instructions. Like, sometimes it's unclear exactly how, like, two pieces are supposed to go. Like, there was one, there was, a, a, a like, a banner carrier for the Stormcast Eternal, and it was... Like, I looked at it, I worked on this, trying to get this thing to line up just right. Because, like, his arm with the banner and, like, part of his torso and, like, upper thigh was one piece. And then, like, his back and the back of his leg and his other leg were a second piece. And they were also had, like, where his feet were had, um like, had the base on them. Like, like kind of a style, like a, a sculpted base that you glued onto the main base. And I struggled for a half hour to get those to line, like to get everything to line up and for the, the, the model to be flush. I even like trimmed down some like the pegs because it was like a push fit model. I tried like I trimmed down those a little bit to see if I could get them to fit better. And it just was not sticking together. And then after about a half hour, I look down at the model and I look at the, the base near that foot. And I see that behind the foot, there's a spot where the pole of the flag that it's carrying is supposed to go. And it's supposed to go behind his leg. And I had been trying to put it in front of his leg because the instructions were unclear. Mm. And it just would not line up the way I was doing it. Once I like, I had to pry the pieces apart because they're like cemented, but not well at that right. point and rearrange it. And then it like all came together, but it's just, like, Oh, that could have been more clear. Like you yeah. could actually, you pointed that out. And it's, I, I get sometimes that happens in their newer instructions. Yeah, I did. I, I will say the 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 instructions for the kill rig had two thing like two little spots where like one part was was literally misnumbered. Ooh, yeah, I've had that happen a couple of times too. And then there was one spot where the 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 place where the little yellow indicators for where you were supposed to glue parts were literally in the wrong place. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I was uh, I was very lucky that like because like it, it it's like. Two little like shock absorbers that go on like the 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 squigasar that like pulls the whole thing like on his back hips he has like these little strut things that like attach to the the big thing that he's pulling and like I it, it's pretty obvious like which end goes onto the 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 
the squig, but like the the part that sticks to the undercarriage of the the platform, like where it told me to glue, like there was an obvious like kind of little hole, but like they didn't they weren't shaped the same. So like I was able to like figure out that okay, no, this this doesn't fit here. They, it, I need to, I, I ended up like just not putting those pieces on until I got further along to where I actually put the, the platform in place and was able to tell, okay, this is where the platform needs to go. And so like it glues actually into this like other little hole here. Which was interesting hmm. because it wasn't even necessary. Like it was a peg that went into a hole, but it was like a hole that, like, I hadn't really even noticed because the platform has like a bunch of holes in it. Right. So it wasn't something that I automatically looked at the piece and went, "Okay, this is where a part gets glued on." It just looked like kind of another hole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, their instructions. Like, I, I sometimes wonder, it's like after somebody writes the instructions, okay, to proofread these, you have to build the kit now. Yeah. And tell me if you can actually do it. Hand the kit to someone who's never built it, never seen it before. If you can build this, then the instructions are complete. And they, I, they do not do that. Yeah, I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have our Sunday preview for what's coming up for pre-order next week. It's a Blood Bowl week. The new Norse Viking team for Blood Bowl is out, which they look cool. They look fun. Um, I don't play. I play. I have Blitz Bowl. I don't play Blood Bowl, though. So and I imagine it'll be a while before they have Blitz Bowl rules for these guys. But uh, that looks to be pretty much it other than some Black Library stuff. Oh, and uh, there are more McFarlane figures but only at the uh let's see the artist proof models for like the Imgarl gene stealer is going to be available as well as the orc big mech and primaris reaver and then uh there are five more models that will be available but only at the los los angeles and dallas warhammer stores so so uh there are three uh there's a big mech and two mega knobs so so richard if you want dennis to pick them up for you he lives (laughs) near there he could do that yep let me and the gene stealer is available the painted gene stealer is available there too yeah i don't know i'll i i (laughs) think i'll hold off (laughs) yeah fair enough (laughs) Um, and I suppose we need a morale phase for this episode. Um, have any of you been, I know you've like Dennis, you've been getting, well, if you weren't painting models, you'd be playing Elden Ring, but you're painting models instead. Yeah. And we've also talked about Elden Ring. Yeah. We've talked about Elden Ring. Yeah. I'm, I'm Um, still like, I'm 200 hours in. That's a lot of Elden Ring. Yes. I'm, I'm almost actually done. So, (laughs) I saw somebody post post a comment like, ah, I just finished Elden Ring, so now it's time to start again so I can get New Game Plus and get Platinum. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh Don't think don't think so. Yeah. No, I'm I I think one playthrough's 
probably enough, and maybe I'll go back to it some point later when I get bored with whatever other video games I have, but yeah, it, that might be a while. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm kind of between entertainment now because I've, I, I, I've been working on, like, I'm kind of in the dentist boat. Like, I'm trying to focus on painting now, so I haven't been playing too many games. Um, I've been watching, I'm also, like, between entertainment, we just started watching Moon Knight, but there's only two episodes of it out so far. And so, um, it's interesting. There's some weird mixed personality, like, double personality things going on. And uh, there's a lot of mysteries that are are not fully uh revealed yet but again it's only two episodes in so i don't think they're gonna like put all the cards on the table that early so i I like it so far but i don't know if it's enough to if we have enough to discuss on it yeah i mean the only thing i can think for morale is sleep and getting enough (laughs) sleep is good sleep sleep is always good sleep is good um a, a good night's rest can do wonders so uh, we're, we'll just punt on this this episode's morale phase. Uh, just keep enjoying doing the things that we're doing, and uh, and uh, we'll we'll have something to talk about in in the next episode when we come back. This was episode two hundred fifty seven. In episode two hundred fifty eight, who knows what we'll be talking about? Because next week is a uh, Blood Bowl week, so I think we've got something else around here we can discuss, but I can't quite discuss it yet. So it'll be a surprise. Master Militarum. Yeah. No, we're, we're not discussing them until their ninth edition codex comes out. Uh, I will, I will make that promise. We will talk okay. about, we'll talk about Aster Militarum when their ninth edition codex comes out. Um, let us know what you thought of the codex review format here. I know the episode is not as long, but fortunately for me, the episode is not as long. Right. So- so I'm, I'm, and one uh, but episode. I think also, and one episode, yes. And, uh, hopefully we hit the high points, uh, and, uh, you can, but also still have fun digging into the codex yourself and finding what gems you find, what sings to you in this chorus of the hive mind that GW has put before us. Uh, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and Griblies and Zillas, they're all good. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.